Welcome to Feeding His Sheep podcast, brought to you by A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. Take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. The book of the New Testament and turn to the last book, which is Revelation, and work your way back to the front of the New Testament. You'll find Second Peter fairly soon. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter 1, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason... Also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, Christian love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful, in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching and the doing of his word. I was talking to a member of our church the other day about his garden. And he told me that we'd had so much rain that his garden had been taken over by the weeds. And another man was listening to us in the church and he said, yeah, you know, that's happened to my garden too. The weeds have just taken over it and I'm not getting any vegetables out of it because the weeds have just grown so much that they're choking out all of the crops. And I thought about that for a moment. Here you have a piece of land that's been planted and plowed up. Good intentions to grow some crops and vegetables to eat. And then the weeds take over and you look out and the crops are small and the weeds are big and choking out the produce. Is that a picture of your Christian life? I thought about that. I thought, you know, I know some Christians that that's about the way their Christian life is. Good intentions started off the Christian walk and desiring to bear fruit for God, but things have just happened and now the weeds have taken over their life and choked out the Christian fruit. Our passage this morning in 2 Peter deals with spiritual growth. Have the weeds taken over your life? We're going to see this morning, first, the reasons why we are to grow spiritually. Second, we're going to see a way to measure your spiritual growth. When we leave this morning, you'll be able to have a concrete, biblical way to measure if you're growing spiritually. 
And then thirdly, a warning to you from God if you are not growing spiritually. So you look at your life as we look at God's Word, and you see if the weeds are taking over your life. First of all, three reasons why we are, we are to grow spiritually. The first one is found in verse 1, where Peter says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. And the first reason you're to grow spiritually is because God has graciously given you saving faith. The phrase there in verse 1, to those who have received a faith of the same kind, tells us that God has graciously given you saving faith if you're one of His children. You see the word received there? The word received there carries the idea in the Greek of a divine allotment. It's the idea of a king just graciously and freely giving one of his subjects something. They do not earn it. They did not deserve it. He just wants to give it to them. It is an allotment from the king. And the idea is that God has, in His grace, simply given saving faith to those who are His. Peter is stressing that they have received this saving faith from God in accordance with His will. He wants to remind them that saving faith did not originate in them, but it originates as a gift from God. Therefore, because God has graciously given them salvation, and they did not earn it, they did not deserve it, and they are to grow spiritually. They are to continue in that faith to grow into spiritual maturity. So that's the first reason you ought to grow spiritually, because God's given you saving faith if you're born again. Secondly, because His divine power has granted to you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Verse 3, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. God has, in His power, given you everything you need to live a purposeful life and to excel in godliness. Philippians 4, Paul says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In fact, positionally, the Bible says, you already have everything you need. God says there is no need that can come up in your Christian life that He will not provide for that need. And in fact, has already provided for it. Paul told the church at Ephesus this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And so God has already granted everything you need to live a purposeful life. And that word for life in the Greek is not for existence, but the word for a meaningful life. And all you need to excel in godliness. Therefore, Peter is saying to them, look, there's no excuse for you not growing spiritually. There's no excuse for the weeds taking over the garden of your life. Because God has, first of all, given you salvation. And secondly, He has also given you everything you need to grow spiritually and have a purposeful life. Now, notice what Peter says. He says the key to experiencing God's provisions is that true knowledge of Him. 
He's granted to you everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. It is when we come to know Him and know Him personally and know Him intimately that we can experience these provisions that God has for us. Now, he's not talking about simply a head knowledge, but he's talking about a heart knowledge as well. A personal relationship, an intimate relationship with God through His Word. So many Christians are living far beneath their privilege and far beneath their position as Christians because they lack this true knowledge of God. They do not know the great provisions that their Heavenly Father has given them. Now, the key to unlock these provisions is God's Word. That true knowledge of His Word. It is in His Word that we find those provisions that He has already given us so that we can, by faith, appropriate them in our lives. It is through the Word of God that we come to know God Himself. He cannot be known apart from His Word. And in His Word, you come to know Him, not only with your head, but with your heart. And it is this true knowledge of Him, this intimate, dynamic relationship with Him through His Word that unlocks to you the provisions that God has given you for everything you need so that you can have a very meaningful, purposeful life and excel in godliness. So that's two reasons why you are to grow spiritually. A third reason is found in verse 4. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You have become a partaker of the Holy Spirit. You see, God, God has not only given you the faith you need for salvation, He has not only given you everything you need to excel in godliness and grow spiritually, but He has also given you the Holy Spirit to enable you to empower you to grow spiritually. He has given you of His divine nature in the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, the primary aspect of God granting you everything you need for life and godliness is He has planted within you His own Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit in us that gives us the desire to grow spiritually. If you claim to be a Christian and you have no desire to grow spiritually, you better question your salvation. How can you have the Spirit of God within you and not desire to grow spiritually? It is the Holy Spirit within us that enables us to say no to sin and yes to God. It is the Holy Spirit that teaches us the truth of God's Word. It is the Holy Spirit that introduces us into what it means to live as a child of God. Therefore, you have no excuse for not growing spiritually. He has granted you saving faith. He has given you everything you need to grow in godliness. And He's even given you of His own Spirit to enable you to live the Christian life. So that's why we are to grow spiritually. Now, how do we measure our spiritual growth? Peter continues, beginning in verse 5. He says, Now for this very reason. Well, for what reason? Well, for the three reasons we've already looked at. Because of these reasons, he says, also apply all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. I want you to see that phrase, also applying all diligence in your faith. Now, what he's saying here is that we are to make every effort to grow spiritually. You and I are to make every human effort 
to grow spiritually. You see, in the first four verses, Peter clearly dealt with what God has done in your Christian life. How He has given you saving faith. How He has given you everything you need to grow spiritually. How He's given you the Holy Spirit. He has dealt with God's part. Now he turns the coin and says, now let me tell you what you need to do. Now this is what God has done. Now you need to also cooperate with God in your spiritual growth. Like Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work His good pleasure. He says, applying all diligence. Now in the Greek that carries very strong connotations. In the NIV, it's translated, make every effort to add to your faith. Now, the word diligence means to make haste. It means to be eager. It means to do one's best. It means to exert oneself to the maximum. It means you put yourself into growing spiritually. Now, those weeds would not have taken over that garden. Now, this fellow will tell you that himself. If he'd been out hoeing that garden. But for one reason or another, he was not able to get out and work the garden, and so the weeds took over it. That's how you keep the weeds from taking over, is you stay with that garden and you don't let it get ahead of you, do you? You keep working it. You keep turning those, that ground and keeping those weeds from growing up. If you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to work at it. Now, salvation is a work of God. But sanctification, growing spiritually, is a cooperative thing that you must cooperate with God. He says, applying. This means to bring alongside in the Greek. It means we're to bring our efforts to grow spiritually into God's presence and place them alongside what God has done in our life on our behalf. Now, you see the word supply in verse 5? In your faith, supply moral excellence. Now, this word supply, again in the Greek, it was used of the choir director in the choirs of those cities. And the choir director not only directed the choirs, but he also took from his personal income to help pay the choir members. Now, the state would pay a good deal, but he would also, of his own personal supply, pay for the choir and their members. And so this word, when it applies to our Christian growth, basically means we are to contribute lavishly to our spiritual growth. You don't just sit back and say, okay, God, now I'm a Christian and and make me grow spiritually. No, we are to contribute to our spiritual growth. We are to work diligently. We are to make every effort to add to what God has done in giving us saving faith and build upon that that we might grow spiritually. And so he says, applying all diligence in your faith. And now he tells us a way to gauge our spiritual growth. Now, I've put in your bulletin a place for you to put yes or no. You can circle yes or no. That means if you're growing in these areas, then you circle yes. If you're not growing in these areas, then you circle no. Now, spiritual growth does not mean that you are perfect in every one of these areas we're going to talk about. If you were perfect, you would be totally spiritually mature. And I'm not convinced anybody gets that far this side of heaven. And so the issue is not am I perfect in this area, but am I growing in this area? Am I more this year than I was last year? In this area of my life. Alright? Let's look at them. He says, first, to your faith add moral excellence. Moral excellence. Are you growing in your moral excellence? That is, our daily conduct is to be a demonstration of moral excellence. We live in a day 
And in a nation where many biblical virtues are ignored or scoffed. And therefore, you should stick out like a sore thumb in many areas. In this area of moral excellence. Take, for instance, sexual immorality. Our society has thrown sexual morality out the window. You can look at television and find that out. If you need to go any further than that, just read the newspapers and just look at the statistics that the Census Bureau, how many unmarried people are living together. I mean, they think nothing about it. Uh, you have to go to the extremes in biblical immorality before our society will take notice and say, well, you know, I don't think that's really a good thing. But you have to go to the extremes to reach that in our society. But you as a Christian are to have moral excellence in your life. You are to live in moral purity, far above the standards of our society. Secondly, what about the area of honesty? In the survey that came out a few months ago now, what American people really think about what really matters, 3,000 plus people were surveyed. Nine out of ten people said they lie regularly. Regularly. Now, you and I as Christians should hold up in moral excellence honesty as a biblical virtue. We are to live Christian truthfulness. I was talking to a man last night who had a a car he was thinking about selling, and he was taking it to his mechanic to get some work done on it. And this mechanic was a Christian, a member of a church. And the mechanic was talking to him and said, You know, I know a fellow that wants to buy a car just like this. But the only problem is, you've got 55,000 miles on it, and he only wants 40,000 miles on it. And the guy didn't quite understand what the mechanic was getting at. And he said, well, I guess then he doesn't want this car, does he? He said, well, you don't understand. He said, he only wants 40,000 miles on this car. And this car looks in great shape. He said, you know, we can roll it back. Now, this was a Christian fella, supposedly a mechanic, churchgoer, who was going to illegally roll back a speedometer. You see, I'm afraid too many Christians are not excelling in moral excellence, but they are allowing themselves to slide down to the world's level of morality, which in many cases is immorality for biblical standards. So we've got to excel. Sacredness of marriage. Do you uphold marriage covenant as sacred according to biblical standards? Or have you allowed yourself to sink down to the standards of our society? Are you committed to your marriage and to making your marriage work, no matter what the price, no matter what the cost? Or is it a convenience thing? Well, you know, it's surely not convenient to be married. or It surely is hard. We're not having fun anymore, so hey, let's bail out. You've got to excel in moral excellence. Are you living that morally excellent life? Look at your life over the past year. Have you excelled in moral excellence over last year? Second area, knowledge. He says to your moral excellence, add knowledge. Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Do you know from the, the Bible better today than you did a year ago? Better than you did two years ago? Do you know God better today than you did a year ago? Do you know the heart of God better than you did last year? Are you growing in your understanding of the Christian life? What God desires of you? What He wants from you? Do you understand better this year than you did last year about that? Thirdly, he says, to your knowledge... Add self-control. Are you growing in self-control? Do you exercise self-control over your natural desires? Now, God has given us natural desires, and these desires in and of themselves are not sinful. They are sinful when they are abused or when they are overused. 
I believe our natural desires become sinful when, first of all, we seek to satisfy them outside the parameters of Scripture, and therefore they hurt us spiritually, or when we seek to exercise them to the excess, or satisfy them to the excess, and it hurts our body. And so self-control means that you have mastered your body, you don't let it master you. That you do not allow your natural appetites to run wild. That you don't allow a craving, a desire to fulfill these natural desires, so master you that it hurts you spiritually or physically. Now, having said that, let's get very practical. Do you have a control over your desire for food? Now, that's a natural desire, to want to eat. And there's nothing wrong with it in itself. But when your desire for food is no... When you don't control it, and you allow that desire to grow so much, you eat so much that you become so overweight that it's harmful to your body, then that's wrong. You're not exercising self-control. If you have to eat all the time and you're so busy eating, you can't spend time studying the Word of God or going out and sharing Christ with others, then you need to exercise self-control in that area. Alright? Do you control your desire for entertainment? Again, entertainment is nothing wrong with recreation if it's the right kind of recreation. But if you don't control that desire, you can become so entertainment-oriented that you spend all your free time trying to be entertained by something. And you've got 45 channels on your television cable and you still can't find anything you want to look at. Now, a little entertainment is appropriate and good. Recreation is good. But do you control that desire? Or do you let it control you? Sleep, a natural, healthy thing in itself. But if you don't control that desire for sleep and you sleep too much, you become a slugger. What about anger? Do you have a better control of your anger today than you did a year ago? Two years ago? Maybe you got saved, you were just a hothead. And God didn't, didn't just take it away. But have you grown in controlling that anger? Or are you just as hot-headish as you were when you first got saved? Take some harmful habits, like smoking, for instance. That's been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that smoking is harmful to your body. So, if it's harmful to your body, then it's not pleasing to God, is it? Okay, now, do you allow that habit to control you? Or can you control it? Are you growing in self-control? He says, to your self-control, add perseverance. And that means you remain steadfast in your commitment to Christ, even when the pressure and when suffering comes. Even under the trials of life and those hardships of life, you maintain your walk with God and you live in a way that glorifies Him. When the hardships in life come, you don't get mad and start pouting and, and get bitter toward God, but you trust God, you look to God, and you depend upon Him. You remain steadfast under the pressure. That means even when your friends and peers may put pressure on you to do something you know is not what God wants you to do, you still remain loyal to Christ above all else. Are you growing in your perseverance, in your steadfastness? Are you willing to obey God even when it costs, and costs dearly? Are you growing in godliness? Now, godliness comes from the awareness that God is with you throughout the day. And therefore, you make decisions that you know are pleasing to Him because you know He's right there. You act and you make decisions based on your awareness that God is with you. Are you growing in godliness? 
Are you more aware this year than you were last year that God is with you every moment of every day and every decision you make He's concerned about and therefore you're making decisions that you know are pleasing to Him? What about brotherly kindness? Are you growing in brotherly kindness? Now, the Greek word is Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. Now, we are to have a deep, heartfelt kindness for fellow Christians. Now, this deals with believers. Paul told the church at Rome to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now, do you have this love for Christians? Do you find that you're not selfish nor seeking your own interests, but putting the interests of other Christians above your own? That you're concerned about their welfare? That you're concerned about other Christians and what they're going through? And you really desire their best and to help them? Do you find you're growing in this over perhaps what you were last year? And then lastly, he says, to your brotherly kindness, Christian love. Now that word is simply agape. The agape love. That godly, God, selfless, godly love. So the question is, Do you have a godly, self-giving, self-sacrificing love toward others? Now, this goes beyond the Christian community. Brotherly kindness involves Christians and your feeling toward Christians. But this goes beyond Christians. This means those folks at work, those unbelievers at work or at school, or the person that lives down the street that's an unbeliever. You know, the one that keeps letting his dogs get into your trash cans? Now, are you exercising a self-giving Godly love toward Him? Are you exercising patience with Him? This is that self-giving love that we are to have for our enemies. For everyone, whether they are Christians or not. Are you growing in this kind of love? This self-giving, self-sacrificing love for people at work? For people in your neighborhood? For people at school? Now, if you have answered yes to most of these, then that's a good sign you're growing spiritually. In fact, look what he says in verse 8 as we see the promise. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have a promise from God. If they are increasing in your life, then you are neither useless nor unfruitful in your Christian life. The weeds will not take over your life if you're seeing these qualities increasing in your life. You will have a great spiritual harvest. You will be fruitful for God. And you will continue to grow more and more in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if these are increasing, you're growing spiritually. But look at the warning that he gives in verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, and having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Peter says if you're not growing spiritually... You are blind to God's truth. He says you're either trusting or rusting. If you're not growing spiritually, then you are rusting in your Christian life. The weeds are taking over. You're blind, he says, to spiritual truth. And not only that, but you've forgotten about God's forgiving grace. You've forgotten that when God saved you, He forgave you of your sins and He broke the power of sin over you. And therefore, you don't have to live under His power anymore. You can be free from the power of sin. In fact, Paul says, if we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And then look at the assurance he gives in verses 10 and 11. He says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. He says, in other words, by growing spiritually, 
in these areas, you give evidence that you are really born again, that you're really saved. In fact, the only way you can know for sure that you're born again is that you do increase in these qualities in your life. And by living this way, you are given, giving certain evidence that He indeed has called you and chosen you to be one of His. And as you continue to grow in these areas, you'll not stumble in your Christian walk as far as concerning your salvation. But you will have assurance that you are saved by God. If you look at your life and don't see any spiritual growth, how can you have any assurance that you are saved? Well, you can't, can you? But if you can look at your life and you can see a growth in these spiritual qualities, then you can be certain you are saved and make certain that calling and election of God for you. And then he says in verse 11, For in this way the entrance into eternal, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. If you're growing spiritually, you have the blessed assurance that heaven awaits you. You can be sure of it. And you can go through life being assured that when you die, heaven awaits. Now, have the weeds taken over your life spiritually? As you measure your life by these biblical qualities that God gives, do you see growth in these areas? If you're lacking in growth in some of these areas, then what can you do to increase in these areas? Well, you have everything you need to grow spiritually, don't you? God has already done His part. It's left up to you to do your part. To use the analogy of the garden, God has already caused the seed to grow. He's already given the water to, to plant, to cause the plant to spring up. But now you've got to do your part and go out and hoe up those weeds and keep that garden fresh and keep it, keep it cleaned off so it can grow and those uh, plants can produce fruit. You need to do your part by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray your Spirit would reveal to each of us about our spiritual lives, that we might grow spiritually by the power of your Spirit within us. It is in His name, in the name of our Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Today we want to give you an opportunity, if you've never come to that place of recognizing Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, and calling upon Him to save you, we want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Perhaps God's been dealing with you the past few weeks, and you realize that you are separated from a holy God because of your personal sinfulness. And you know there's nothing you can do to save yourself, but that He's done everything necessary through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And you've come to the point of realizing that apart from Him, you're undone. But you want to call upon Him and ask Him to save you. Give evidence of His work in your life. And we want to give you an opportunity because the Scripture says, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus said, All who come to Me, I'll in no wise cast any out. So if you desire to come to Him, it's because He has done a work in your life to bring you to this point. And you give evidence of that by calling upon His name.